Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for what should be a brilliant meeting with speeches from esteemed guests from the UK and across the pond in the US, and also from across the political spectrum on the topic of uniting for peace. My name is Lauren, and I'll be the chair for this evening's event. Uh, I'm a member of the Workers' Party of Britain, and I sit on the National Steering Committee for the No to NATO organisation that was founded in London in February this year. We are broadcasting live across a number of different platforms this evening. Uh, we'll be monitoring the chats throughout, so please leave us your questions and comments and we'll pick those up throughout the evening. Uh, please also visit notonato.org and sign up to keep up to date with our events and future uh, broadcasts. It is free to join, so please encourage you to do so. Uh, tonight, our speakers will talk about uniting for peace and the timing could not be more important. In recent days, we've seen the further escalation from NATO powers in Ukraine. We've heard here in Britain from Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, who are targeting China, naming them as the greatest threat to global security. Meanwhile, China has recently brokered peace deals between Saudi Arabia and Iran to end the war in Yemen and has sent peace delegations to negotiate a ceasefire between Ukraine and Russia, though this was, of course, opposed by the US and the UK and other NATO powers. So with these developments in the international situation, building the broadest anti-war and anti-imperialist movement possible has become a most urgent task. And that's why tonight we are talking about unity. But without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce our first speaker for this evening, a lifelong anti-war activist, former Labour and independent MP here in Britain, broadcaster extraordinaire and esteemed leader of the Workers' Party of Britain. Please welcome Mr. George Galloway. Thank you, Lauren. Most kind and my fraternal greetings to my fellow panellists and to all the people watching uh, this broadcast now or later on catch-up, particularly, if you'll forgive me, my comrades in the leadership and the ranks of the Workers' Party of Britain. As some of you know, I'm having to work overseas at this point in time, so it's uh, longer than usual since I saw my comrades in the party. In any case, the Workers' Party is proud to be co-founder of No to NATO, No to War, because we believe in being involved in things larger than us, in things broader than us, and uniting people are around the two uh, demands, no to NATO, no to war, which are managing to unite disparate forces and indeed uh, help to redraw the political boundaries, political map of the world. One of my fellow speakers told me just before we came on air that he used to despise me and hate me with a passion, but not now. And these are sweet words, actually, to hear, because we live in a world where some people that are regarded would regard themselves as being right-wing are supporting these two demands and many uh, who would regard themselves and be regarded as left-wing are entirely opposed to these demands. So we figure that what matters is not left and right, but right and wrong. And so as you, Lauren, in your introduction, uh, pointed out some of the significant uh, developments over this last period. Let me just say this before adding my own tuppence worth. We need to do this more often. Uh, 
we need to have a meeting online. I think every week, not least because every time we have one, uh, rival organizations schedule one for exactly the same time. So let's tire them out. We don't need to assemble all of these speakers, uh, but we have to have two or three at least broadcasting every week because uh, we are on the launch pad. Our engines are burning, but we haven't taken off yet. And there may not be as much time as people think uh, in order to achieve liftoff because several developments have taken place over the last few days alone that uh, tell me that uh, a full-scale confrontation in nuclear exchange in Europe may not be that far off. But I don't have time to go into everything deeply because of the size of the panel. Let me quickly identify what I think those main developments are. First of all, the news today that officially Germany is in recession, the economic powerhouse of Germany, the main economy of the European Union has caught, uh, not cold, but influenza. And God knows what that will do for the rest of the European economies. If I had time, I'd tell you about the seven European capitals I've been in in the last seven months and the obvious signs of recession, even depression, social dislocation, despair and alienation that I have found in those seven capitals. But as the latest of them was Berlin, let me say I could have told you that Germany was in recession even without looking at the numbers. It was written on the faces of the people, the boarded up businesses in the streets, the wage cuts that people are experiencing, the cuts in the fabric of uh, the public realm that are evident everywhere in Germany. In Germany, the lights are going out and they may not be lit again in our lifetime, depending on how long our lifetime is, because the other big development is the announcement uh, by Belarus and Russia that nuclear weapons have now been moved to uh, Belarus territory. For the moment, as the Belarusians have stressed, they are non-strategic nuclear weapons, but they nonetheless represent a very significant political military development in Europe. Um, the uh, absurd uh, uh, hypocrisy of the Americans saying that this is a breach of the non-proliferation treaty to which Russia is a signatory should be laughed at because, of course, American nuclear weapons are now stationed on American military bases in just about every single NATO member in Europe. So proliferation was begun by the United States, not by Russia. But it's clear that these weapons are there for a purpose. They are there because Russia believes that a NATO intervention in the war in Ukraine may very well be imminent or indeed even underway. The Wall Street Journal this week revealed not just a split between the US and the UK. The Wall Street Journal believes that the US is the adult in the room in the partnership in the alliance in Ukraine and 
the United Kingdom is the reckless juvenile who has moved his special forces, and I quote the newspaper, close in close proximity to the front line, and maybe even on the front line, maybe even involved in the terrorist attack on Russian territory in Belgorod that was made just the other day, which ended so disastrously. Certainly foreign mercenaries, including American, Turkish, British, and other mercenaries were heavily involved in the Bakhmut battle, the longest battle of the 21st century so far, which has just ended in Ukrainian defeat. Um, it was the justification by the United States for dropping its atomic weapons on Japan. Some of us feel there were other ulterior motives, but it was their stated justification that in order to defeat Japan, they did not want to have to fight through every single island and every inch of the Japanese mainland all the way to Tokyo because the cost in American lives would have been too great for that to be a price worth paying when the alternative of using nuclear weapons was available to them. If that justification uh, was true, and the United States maintains it until this day, uh, they were recently in Hiroshima for their uh, G7 summit, and that was their justification. Well, of course, if that is a justification for the use of nuclear weapons for the United States, then it obviously is a justification for Russia to use nuclear weapons also. Russia has a no first use policy. The United States does not. And Russia fears that America, with its failure to have a no first strike policy, will preemptively use nuclear weapons against Russia. And therefore, Russia may have to amend its nuclear protocols accordingly. At the moment, these weapons that are in Belarus are, and I put heavy inverted commas around this word, only tactical nuclear weapons, battlefield nuclear weapons, not intermediate and certainly not strategic. In other words, uh, weapons that would not reach other countries, except perhaps countries on the absolute perimeter of Ukraine, and would not be used, for example, against Germany or France or, or the United Kingdom. But as everyone who knows about war should know, uh, wars tend to escalate, and the use of battlefield weapons could very quickly become uh, the use of intermediate uh, range nuclear weapons. And if that were to happen, there are obvious countries like Germany, but perhaps particularly like the United Kingdom, which is more passionately involved in this war than any other country, including the United States. But even the battlefield weapons, even if they were used only in Ukraine, uh, are in a NATO target-rich environment. As the Wall Street Journal made clear, there are potentially thousands of NATO personnel on the ground in Ukraine, and there are huge weapons stores for all the Leopard tanks and F-16s and F-this and F-that that the NATO forces are delivering to Ukraine 
Uh, these are all legitimate targets, of course, from Russia and could even be the targets of a battlefield nuclear strike. NATO would be forced at that point, of course, to consider whether to respond either inside or outside of Ukraine uh, with their own battlefield nuclear weapons. And then we would be off and running into a conflict that might bring about the end of the world. People say uh, that this is alarmism, but Russia did not move these weapons into Belarus for nothing. Putin has not been regularly warning of the dangers of nuclear conflict over the last couple of weeks for nothing. And of course, once upon a time, Joe Biden said sending Abram tanks and F-16s into the war would be a declaration of World War III. Since when he's moved Abram tanks and is shortly to deliver F-16s to the battlefield. So uh, escalation, I'm afraid, is the name of the game, which is why I say there is great urgency in the need for us to build a mass movement, which we have not yet built. Let's be honest about that. Uh, there have been sporadic and impressive uh, demonstrations in Germany and elsewhere in Europe, a good one in the United States, but small. Uh, the people of France as always lead the way uh, but uh, these um, demonstrations in France will not stop the war. Uh, frankly, only a mass uprising in Germany against the economic suicide that its so-called socialist, so-called green government has now delivered amongst its people. So I say let's step up our agitation, our education and our organization so that we can at least never be said to have not tried hard enough to stop what could become a human disaster. I wish I had more time, but that would be unfair to the other speakers. Thank you, Lauren, and thank you to all the other speakers for the opportunity to speak this evening. Thank you very much, George. Do you have time for, for one question? I guess you've kind of touched on it with, you know, what, sure. what will it take to stop the war? And I guess um, our campaign with No to NATO is initially about withdrawing Britain from NATO. And um, I guess what what's required to do something like that? We've seen with Brexit would be the recent sort of analogous example, you know, uniting across the political spectrum in the face of, you know, lots of criticism from those on the left and the right. Um, you know, what what does it take to, to put something like that together? Well, for me, if you're backing NATO, uh, then you no longer are the left. And if you are the left, then I am not the left. And I think a lot of people uh, feel that way. Uh, this is very short term, uh, this campaign, uh, because uh, either uh, everything will change as a result of a general European war, whether involving nuclear weapons or not, and it's hard to see how it would not, or uh, the war will come to an end, and the only way it can come to an end is with a Russian victory. Russia cannot uh, afford to lose this war. This is existential for Russia and it will not stop the war until 
its demands have been met either at the negotiating table or on the, the battlefield. So that leads me to believe, and it's one of the reasons why my show, The Mother of All Talk Shows, now has a German version, uh, Motes of Deutsch, uh, in German, every Sunday at uh, 5 p.m. Berlin time, uh, is that this can only be stopped now in Germany. And if the German people, now that they have officially moved into recession, a recession that will be long and deep and has already caused them great pain and distress, if the German people allow Schultz and the Greens to continue to lead them to national suicide and disaster, then I'm afraid uh, all hope is lost. We in Britain uh, have a government that has quite simply lost its mind. Rishi Sunak said at the dispatch box in Parliament this week, not only that uh, Russia's economy was crashing, uh, but that it was losing on the battlefield on the very day that it captured Bakhmut, uh, where a private military company defeated the armed forces and weaponry of all of NATO. But on the day where our supermarket food price uh, inflation reached 25%, and on the day that Russia's inflation rate was 2.5% the lowest inflation rate in all of Europe. And uh, uh, you, you wonder about this more than anything else. Not one member of parliament, not one out of 650 stood up to contradict Rishi Sunak. We have a one-party state in Britain. In fact, we have a one-party state in most parts of what we call the Western world. And so looking for hope from our parliament will not happen. But the German parliament is something different. There, there is opposition on the left and on the right to Schultz and the Greens national suicide bid. And they're going to have to step up to the plate and quickly if this disaster is to be averted. No, I think that's a, an interesting and pertinent point. And I guess we'll have to wait and see how the situation develops in Germany. But yeah. uh, as you said, we need to be meeting much more regularly to, to discuss this. And uh, hopefully we'll set up more broadcasts in the future. So thank you so while much. While we still can, Laura. Yes, while we still can. <laughs> and uh, so thank you so much, George, for Thanks. joining us this evening. Appreciate Look forward it. to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. And so uh, I'll introduce now our next speaker, um, who is the chair of the People's Party in the USA. Uh, he was the co-founder and organiser of the Rage Against the War Machine organisation. Um, so please welcome uh, Mr. Nick Branner. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, it's always hard to follow up George, but maybe... I can flesh out some of what makes this such a terrifying moment in history. Just a few weeks ago, the Ukraine drone bombed the Kremlin, the residence of the Russian president, Putin's residence. And immediately, Russia, as any state would have done, 
accused Ukraine of being involved in an assassination attempt on Putin's life. The next day, they accused the United States of being involved in that assassination attempt. I think that needs to give all of us pause. Not even during the Cold War do I recall a moment when the leader of one nuclear power, superpower, was accusing another nuclear superpower of attempting to assassinate their president. That is incredible and illustrates how dangerous this situation is. And then, just a few days ago, we had the United States hosting, of course, it was done with US permission and idea, but the G7 hosting the G7 meeting at Hiroshima, of all places, Hiroshima, the one of the two cities that the United States nuked, Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan, killing more than 200,000 people, the United States remains the only country to have used nuclear weapons in war against civilian targets, including, because nuclear weapons, of course, do not discriminate. And that is worth reflecting on because as George talked about this increasing nuclear brinksmanship that we face between Russia and the United States, especially from the United States surfacing nuclear subs months ago even, which they don't typically do. The reason, it's worth reflecting on the reason that the United States dropped those atomic bombs on Japan in the first place. U.S. propaganda and Western propaganda would tell you that it was to end the war because they wanted to avoid that uh, costly invasion of the Japanese mainland. But that is false. Read Howard Zinn, Gore Vidal, Noam Chomsky, Peter Kuznick, Oliver Stone. In their book, The Untold History of the United States, Peter Kuznick and Oliver Stone do a great job of illustrating the way in which actually Japan had already surrendered. It was merely negotiating terms. It was seeking to maintain the imperial system, to maintain their emperor, Hirohito, in charge of Japan. But the United States dropped those two atomic bombs despite the fact that all of their leadership, Truman dropped the bombs, gave the order, despite the fact that the military leadership said it's not necessary. It's superfluous. We shouldn't do it. They dropped the bombs for political reasons. They dropped the atomic bombs and killed, wiped out those 200,000 people because they knew, or what they wanted to start, was the Cold War with Russia. They did it as a direct threat to Russia, whose loss of 28 million people broke the back of the Nazi war machine in Europe and truly won the war. And they engaged the United States, their act at the end of the war, the Second World War, was to kill all of those people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki as a threat, beginning the Cold War, a threat to Russia. 
now reflect back today, hosting the G7 in a country that was nuked, in a city that was nuked by the United States, is a direct threat once again to Russia. It is the United States saying, look at the monstrous lengths to which we are willing to go to maintain our global hegemony. That is the, the level of insanity that we're dealing with here in the U.S. That's why we organized as the People's Party, the Libertarian Party, and a large coalition, Rage Against the War Machine. And George is right. That has to just be the beginning. We have to muster up the strength, the courage, and the ability to bring out even more people against this war. And we need to have many more dialogues like this because we're facing a massive propaganda machine. In the United States, we don't have the draft, which was a big motivator to the protests in Vietnam. The war is not neatly aligned between two political parties, like the Iraq war, which brought out hundreds of thousands of people into the streets because it was aligned with the Democrats opposing war, of course, because they were out of power at the time against George W. Bush in the early 2000s. And so we need to discuss now, how is it that we can impress upon people the utter lunacy of the United States-led NATO coalition, which is taking us right up to the brink of nuclear war with Russia, and is illustrating in its actions the G7, placing missiles right next to Russia in uh, Poland, in Romania, seeking to do the same in Ukraine by inducting Ukraine into NATO. How is it that we bring this to an end? And that's why I'm happy to be participating as the People's Party and with Rage Against the War Machine in this dialogue, because this is existential. There is not a lot more room between where we are of one nuclear superpower accusing another of attempting to assassinate its leadership and another uh, satellite state of that superpower sending depleted uranium weapons to attack Russia, as Putin said, which introduces a nuclear component to the war. And which, of course, Russia blew up this massive depot of depleted uranium munitions, potentially creating, Russia claims, a cloud of toxic and radioactive particles that is heading towards Europe. What if Poland, now the media, the Western media, Poland, the, and the countries closest to the Western border with Ukraine, are blacking that out currently? But what if one of those countries, like Poland, that is viciously opposed to Russia, decided to cite Article 5 as a result of any debris fallout that landed in their country, that crossed over to their country, as they already sought to do almost a few months ago when a Ukrainian missile struck them and they blamed Russia and the media and the Western press and institutions went in a frenzy against Russia, blaming them and citing Article 5. What if that happens? And they try to bring all of NATO into the war directly against Russia. We already know that the Zelensky 
administration and regime has attempted to do that. That is why I'm saying that there is not much room left between where we are now for conventional escalation and nuclear war. They're sending the jets. They're sending the tanks. Troops and nukes is about the only thing that's left. And despite our great actions earlier, the escalation has continued. So I'm glad to be participating in this conversation and grateful for everyone who is here to end this war and abolish NATO once and for all for the sake of all of humanity. Thank you so much, Nick. Uh, very uh, important speech that you've just given. And um, one question I have for you. Um, I know that in, in the Britain, we face a lot of sort of sectarian criticism. You know, you're not uh, on the left. You know, you're you're talking to people who you may have different opinions um, with and, you know, who might be right wing, might be conservative, might be libertarian. I'm interested to hear, you know, what your experience was with setting up Rage Against the War Machine. And did you have similar sort of criticisms leveled against you um, putting together that organization with the Libertarian Party? We did. We faced a constant stream of people and organizations trying to bring in other issues, especially social policy issues. Yeah. And we said, nuclear weapons don't discriminate based on your ideology. The war doesn't discriminate based on your ideology. Yeah. We can unite on this issue without adopting each other's views in other areas. We don't need to do that. Yeah. We can say, this is something we oppose together and we can and should unite for the sake of stopping the war and the hundreds of thousands of people in Ukraine, Russians who are being killed first and foremost, and the billions that could be killed if there is a nuclear war and a nuclear winter. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as you say, all those other questions won't matter if we go to a nuclear war. Um, so thank you very much for your comments and hopefully you'll be back and we'll, we'll talk again soon. And, um, you know, Great work that you're doing with Rage Against the War Machine. We look forward to uh, seeing your progress over in the States. So thank you Anytime. so much. Thank you. So our next speaker is uh, somewhat controversial. Um, he is the founder and broadcaster of Unity News Network, coming to us from Scotland, I believe, uh, Mr. David Clues. Some, somewhat controversial. That's an insult. <laughs> somewhat. Exceptionally, I think, would, would be the preface. I know. I know. I mean, that, I mean, it's, it's, I'm the nice guy here talking to all you raging leftists. Do you, know, do you know how bad that is for my street cred? You know, it's bringing me down. I'm only kidding. Warren, thank you so much for, for allowing me to, to come on tonight and speak. And, you know, George Galloway has been a colossus over the years um, in terms of, of the work that he's done. And as I, it was actually myself that, that was saying earlier, I wasn't a big fan. And, you know, I used to hear that Galloway and, oh, the NATO. And I would say, geez, he's just anti-British. He's anti-Western, etc. And you know what? He's been proven right. Because look at the mess we're now in in 2023. And also Rage Against the War Machine has done a fantastic job. And, you know, th this is the key thing we all have to look at. And I talk about this quite frequently as a, a, a sort of a pyramid of, of issues. Now, to some people, perhaps the number one issue might be, I don't know, climate change. They may think that. 
to others it's the ongoing COVID situation, to others it may be public sector workers, to some it may be capitalism, etc. However, sitting at the top of that pyramid, we can be in no doubt, is that if there is a World War Three, if if there is a nuclear strike by either party, <laughs> none of that matters. None of that matters at all. And people need to waken up to that. And I'm glad that both George and Nick were talking about that with a sense of urgency. I don't understand why people are so apathetic about what is going on in Ukraine. Like, do they not realise that Russia, (laughs) you know, I was brought up knowing that Russia was a superpower, and in some ways still is a superpower as well, with the largest nuclear arsenal in the world. This is not a game that is being played here. This is serious, serious stuff. But so many people do take it as a game. So many people do regard it as, as, as oh, well, we'll just tweet about this and we'll show our support for Ukraine. It's absolutely disgraceful. And as, as, as George pointed out earlier, not one single politician in the House of Parliament, in the Welsh Assembly, in the, the Scottish Assembly as well, have said anything even remotely critical of what our policy is in Ukraine. Why is that? And what has happened is that traditionally the the left were the more anti-war party or anti-war grouping. They are totally co-opted in this. Factions run by people like Paul Mason, etc., who are now pushing this war and and on the same side of Tobias Elwood, it is horrendous what is happening. And, you know, again, controversial, Russia have shown magnificent restraint throughout this conflict, considering what the West and NATO have done. The sending of weapons, the sending of uranium-depleted shells, which appear to have all mostly been blown up now, the propaganda the freezing of their foreign assets, the, the 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 sanctions that have taken place, the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline. As George was talking about earlier, if there was anybody that should be declaring Article 5 of NATO about a member state being attacked, it should have been the Germans after what the Americans and the British did to the Nord Stream pipeline. They blew it up. That was a global terrorist act. And the the behaviour of the West is so brazen. Here we find ourselves in May of 2023. Okay, this has been going on now for, what, a year and three months, nearly. And the money keeps still rolling in. It keeps going on. You see the hellish situation in Bakhmut. Now, look, I always say this. You can be against President Putin. You can you can think his invasion of Ukraine was wrong. Fine. However, the Western MSM have tried to portray that it was completely unprovoked. That's just a lie. Anybody with any knowledge of history, any knowledge of what is going on there, knows that it was not unprovoked at all. However, it is what it is. It has happened. But nobody is doing anything to try and bring about a peace deal. 
They keep sending more money. They keep sending more weapons. They keep doubling down. Because the goal fundamentally of the neocons in the United States of America and those in NATO is for regime change in Russia. That That's what they want. They... This is the thing that the people of Ukraine need to understand. NATO, the West, the Biden administration doesn't care about them at all. To them, they are just pawns in a game. And what is happening to those poor pawns? They are dying en masse in the battlefields. For, for what? For what exactly? And nobody is... It is trying to do anything here about peace because they don't want peace. There's too much money to be made out of war. There's too much money being siphoned off. There's too much corruption, not only in Ukraine, but in the West as well. And it is so frustrating. I'm sure many of you who are watching this tonight will know what I'm talking about. When you do dig a little bit deeper into Zelensky, when you do dig a little bit deeper in, into what is happening and you realise that it is wall-to-wall Western MSM propaganda. This is not our war, and, and you're talking about campaigning. You know, that's that's what we've been putting out. Leaflets, simply, it's not our war. And there shouldn't be a penny more to the Zelensky regime either. And yes, this isn't a sexy campaign. This isn't perhaps one of the most interesting, but it is by far and away the most important right now. Because if there is a world war, nothing else matters and being no doubt these sickos and psychopaths at nato and in washington your hillary clintons of this world your victoria newlands of this world they want a war with russia they want a head-on confrontation and isn't it funny how all these people none of them have served in the military None of them propose joining the military. None of their kids are joining the military either. It is despicable. And I'm, I'm glad to see some of the comments against Paul Mason because he truly is a despicable individual, as is John Sweeney. And this is where the, 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 that sort of smug, and it is very smug, that smug attitude is, has overtaken what should and shouldn't be done. And oh, we're, we're the good people. If you're opposing this, you are you are fighting on behalf of Putin. You're just a propagandist for Putin. And they lie about you, and they smear you, and they call you absolutely everything. But you know what? <laughs> I will be called whatever they want. Everybody in this panel should be proud to be called the names that they're called by these psychopaths. Because we're actually the ones trying to come up with a peaceful settlement. And be in no doubt. In, in February, early February 2022, there was a peace deal on the table. And what did Boris Johnson do? He went over to Zelensky and he told him, no, you're not signing that. And here we are now, hundreds of thousands dead, mostly on the Ukrainian side. Don't believe the lies about the Western MSM, how many Russians have died. That's just lies. Mostly Ukrainians, mostly young men who aren't coming back someone's father someone's husband someone's son and what is not nice what is not noble and what is not good and that is why decent people need to come together 
speak in a civilized way and try and stop this. The, the analogy I use, it's like you're driving past in the car and, and you see two people who you've never met, you don't know anything about, and they're, 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 they're punching the lights out each other. What do, what do decent people do? They would perhaps stop the car and, and try and break them up. What, 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 what's the West doing? They're stopping the car and they're saying to one side, look, here you go, have an axe. <laughs> have a baseball bat. Let, let's really have some fun here. And it is just so, so wrong. It's got nothing to do with democracy. It's got nothing to do with freedom. It's got everything to do with entrenching NATO and Western hegemony. And that all has to end because it doesn't create peace. All it creates is absolute bloodshed. So I think that's that's Lawrence there again. I think that's really all I have to say. And it has been an absolute pleasure to be here. And, and just amongst people who are able to actually still engage their brains because the Western MSM doesn't, of course, allow you to do that. Thank you, David. Well, it was very controversial indeed. <laughs> um, what I, I wanted to ask you, because obviously, you know, us on the on the left, we face a lot of criticism for, well, for platforming yourself because you're so incredibly controversial, as we've as we've discussed. Um, <laughs> do you face similar sort of criticism from people on on your sort of section of the, the political no, spectrum? No, 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 no. And it is a very interesting phenomenon because, of course, free speech in the 80s and 90s was actually a left-wing issue because mm. leftist voices were denied. Whereas what you actually find is UNN and the circles IMAX in, we encompass quite a broad spectrum yep. of people who are libertarians, freedom movement, to maybe people who are more on the right. But genuinely, there is actually a a, 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 a willingness to speak to debate and, and have an openness. And that really is an insidious culture now that does exist within the, the, the left wing of no platforming, of non-debate and, and non-discussion. And, you know, in many ways, that very much suits the the the, 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 the power brokers. Yes, Because they, 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 they don't want people talking. And it, it is a horrible, horrible, horrible culture because it is only through debate and dialogue and 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 analyzing these situations and um, so i'm not really sure how you can you, you can overcome it it's just it, do you know what it's very i just find it very childish yeah um, no, I, I agree and and especially on such a major issue as this which is which is war and as, as nick pointed out the way in which they've been attacked and 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 and, and demonized fundamentally they just don't want you questioning the agenda it doesn't matter whether you're left wing right wing libertarian I, I don't know whatever you are they just don't want you questioning them and they will use whatever tools in in their their, their mechanism to shut you down and deny yeah. you a voice no, absolutely and and thank you again for inviting me to speak on on your platform uh, about a month ago in london and I think, you know, we have to trust that our ideas, you know, once people hear them, they'll come to uh, our point of view. And that's why, you know, allowing us to speak is so dangerous. And that's why we don't agree in engaging in no platforming. So thank you again, David, for joining us tonight. Pleasure. It's been great to thank hear you, from Lauren. you. Always um, good to see you and I'll see you again. Thank you. Good Thanks, night. Thanks, David. Good night. Um, so our next speaker for this evening, coming to us live from Austin, Texas, uh, is the chairperson of the Libertarian Party in the USA, which I believe is the third largest political party in the States. 
um, and also co-founded the Rage Against the War Machine organization. So I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, about their experience in the U.S. anti-war movement. So please welcome Angela McArdle. Hi, Angela. Hey, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here with you guys today. Um, uh, I guess I, you know, like Nick, I have a, an interesting perspective on this uh, from the, from the United States perspective and from a third party. Um, it's sort of interesting as we enter the presidential election cycle to see who will be campaigning for war and who will be campaigning for peace. I think obviously everyone here is watching, but the rest of the world is watching too, because unfortunately the rest of the world gets dragged along with whatever our major political decisions are. Um, both pro-war and anti-war perspectives are going to say that we have to do it to fight for existence. We have to oppose war or we have to bring war. Uh, but how much sense does that really make? We are the most powerful country in the world. It's disingenuous to say that we have to go to war across the world and support the actions that are happening in Ukraine by NATO. It's, it's completely disingenuous. We're not threatened by Russia. And we, our government, allowed this to happen by interfering in their geopolitical conflict in a place in the world where, you know, unfortunately political control has been disputed for many, many years. It's wrong what our government allowed to happen under the banner of NATO. It's wrong for our government to finance NATO. Our government, I believe, is complicit in the death toll over there for encouraging this conflict. They're complicit in the deaths of the Ukrainians. Everyone says this is we have to do this for the Ukrainian people, um, for the people who are caught in the middle of this miserable conflict. I unfortunately do think that, you know, our, our government has, has increased the death toll over there. From a libertarian perspective, um, especially from the party perspective, uh, we're excited to push back against this. And, and we're going to be doing that and partnering with the People's Party again and, and other minor parties and what's going to be called Operation Warhawk Removal, where we push to pressure and ruin the campaigns of uh, some of the worst warmongering politicians in the United States. Uh, I'm also going to be uh, trying to get more people to take lessons on uh, the activism of Jose Vega and how outspoken he's been at some of these town halls. His, his actions have gone viral. I wanna get more libertarians doing that kind of stuff. I think that this sort of work issue coalitioning is really important. It's, it's important on so many levels. We have to really push back right now because mainstream political powers, they are all in across the board on fighting these wars for empire. I would like us to, to be the standard bearers in the anti-war movement. And, and also to start looking at the people who around us with a, with a sense of shared value and trying to understand where we, where we share values, what brings us together, you know, to really, to really hone in on, on the fact that we're all human beings here, because that's also a big part of what war is, right? We're, we're fighting, people are fighting each other for money and power and, and geopolitical maneuvering, but there's also so much hatred out there in the world. And I think that it would behoove us to push back on that. And I wanna be the ones to do that. Um, I wanna focus on the things that bring us together and to unite us in our humanity. The stakes are raised higher and higher in everything that our governments do. 
I want to talk to conservatives about this a little bit and speak to the conservative, libertarian, classical liberal element of the anti-war movement. And maybe people who are a little bit curious about what we're doing, but they're not fully bought in. Our debt soars, our international relations with other world powers are strained. We inch closer to nuclear war. The stakes in everything that's happening across the political spectrum are much higher. Germany being announced as in a recession in the United States, I feel that we've been in a recession for quite some time. When you look at our inflation rates, the Fed raising interest rates, there's economic pain across the globe. So from the perspective of the West, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the West and what the West is doing. I think it's like you have two wolves inside of you, right? Uh, which wolf will win? The one that you feed. Do you want to be known for the things that the rest of the world admires you for, for things that people flee their countries and come here for? Or do we want to be known for the things that the rest of the world hates us for? The BRICS agreement should send a strong message to the West to pull back and revisit those things that make us great, not monsters. Free speech, free thought, consent of the governed, upward economic mobility, uh, the progression from a feudalist uh, system of governance uh, to property rights and home ownership for the average person. Those are the things that make us great. Those are the things that we should be known for. We should not be known for military conquest across the world, blowing up children and weddings with drone bombs. The things that make us great turn us into monsters when we try to force them on other countries across the world through military might. We become twisted and warped representations of our former selves and the people that we torment become stunted with atrocity and rage. Our actions, to that extent, destroy everyone, including ourselves. People in the Middle East have not democratically agreed for us to rain hellfire down on them with drone strikes. There is no economic theory in nuclear winter. There are no peace talks with dead people, and there's no second chance once that happens. So I think we've got to let go of power grabs across the globe. We should push back against global consolidation of power in things like NATO, and the World Economic Forum, and the IMF, because all of these organizations are working together to push us towards global action against dissidents. It's not my place in the United States to say how um, Russia or China should govern their people. I certainly have my preferences. It's not my place to make those calls. We are not the world police in the United States. Over the next year and a half, I wanna encourage everyone to reach out to the other people who share your anti-war position, form alliances. It definitely matters. We can shape, we can alter the trajectory of, of history if we work together, if we overcome our differences. There is more, I believe, that unites us than sets us apart. We need diplomacy between Russia and Ukraine. We need diplomacy between China and, and Taiwan and the United States. I would love to see that diplomacy begin at home. Go out and, and break bread with the people around you, get to know them, and start plotting a course of action to bring back peace in our foreign policy. Um, that's my advice. I've been so happy to be a part of that activism at, at home, and I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to work with people in different political parties and different ideologies so that we can further this agenda of peace. I do have an agenda, and that's what it is. 
Thank you so much, Angela. Very important words there. And I think, you know, the the, the idea of, you know, just getting to know one another and, and talking about the issues in, we, in which we agree is just so important because it's so easy to, um, you know, retreat to our sort of smaller groupings and not really want to go and, and talk to people and reach across the aisle. Um, so I think that's, that's a really important thing that everyone should, you know, in, be encouraged to do. Um, one question I have for you is about, well, about Robert, Ken Robert Kennedy um, yes. and his sort of announcement to stand as president. Um, I think for the, the Democratic Party, is that correct? That's um, correct. And he has come out and said some, you know, some great things about, you know, about NATO and criticizing them and criticizing America's role. And I'm wondering sort of what are your general thoughts on, on his run for presidency? I'm so happy to see someone speak out against the war who's running um, as a candidate outside of the Libertarian Party. You know, I can't endorse him, but I can encourage him to continue to make those sort of statements and to do everything that he can to move foreign policy in the direction of, of the anti-war movement. Um, I'd also encourage him to, you know, revisit his his position, um, his his relationship with the Democratic Party, which I do not believe shares his values. And I, I hope that he doesn't sign any pledge to, to stay with them long-term because I'd love to see him bail on them. Whether he becomes a libertarian or not, I'd, I'd love to see him just quit that toxic relationship. Yeah, I suppose he's, I don't know whether he's a lifelong Democrat um, or whether he's just sort of running uh, as, a, as a candidate for the Democrats to try and, you know, break that. Well, it is a, a real two-party sort of dominance in the state. So there, it's very difficult for a, a smaller party like yourselves to break through, even though, you know, you do have a, a large membership. Um, but no, I, I hope you're right, um, because what we've seen in, in recent history is that the Democrats are just as much the party of war as the Republicans are. So um, it'll be interesting as well with uh, Trump and DeSantis um, in the race in the in the Republican Party. I don't know whether you have any thoughts on on that. I mean, not yet. It's a little premature. I, you know, Donald Trump got a lot of credit, believe it or not, in um, in libertarian and conservative liberty leaning circles for at least not starting new wars. I thought, wow, what a low bar. At least he didn't start new bar. wars. Uh, yeah. Ron DeSantis's foreign policy makes me nervous. Uh, he he seems to be all about uh, dumping tons of money into Israel and he does not seem interested in de-escalating, you know, any Middle Eastern conflicts. So we'll see. Sometimes rhetoric changes when people are running for office. Whether or not that sticks is a different question. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we've had a few questions from people about how to how to get involved. So um, any American um, viewers of this broadcast, can you can you tell them how they can sort of join join yeah. the movement, join the organization, get involved in anti-war activism in the States? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, please go to rageagainstwar.com and, and send us a message there. If you're interested in the Libertarian Party, you can go to lp.org. Uh, we're, we're all really accessible. There, there are contact options down at the bottom. You can learn about becoming a member and just read about our platform. Great. Well, hopefully we, someone can put the, the link to the Rage Against the War um, website in the um, chat as well for other people to find it there. Uh, thank you so much, Angela. Thanks for your time this, uh, this afternoon, I believe, over in Texas. Um, and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Angela. Uh, next up, we have a political activist from the Schiller Institute in the U.S., 
Jose Vega. I believe we're going to show a clip from some of the direct action activities that he's been undertaking, disrupting town hall meetings, um, interrogating congressmen, etc. Maybe interrogations are a strong word, but, um, you know, really inspiring activities. And he's going to give a bit of a talk about how um, how you can get involved in similar sort of activities if that's something that you're wanting to do. Um, so I believe we have a clip lined up. I don't know whether I have to. Oh, here we go. Oh, is this the lecture hall with Seymour Hirsch? I, I just I'm looking for the one with Seymour Hirsch because it's a policy and press hall event. So shouldn't we be talking about the Nord Stream since that's the biggest story of the century and you guys, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, you have the executive editor of the New York Times there who came out with a phony story to try and block Seymour Hirsch. It just it's just kind of funny how that happened. You know, I mean, did you even acknowledge Seymour Hirsch? All of you are executive editors of papers that broke Pentagon, Me Lai, Watergate. Is this the same papers or not? I mean, is there anything you've gotten right? in the last 20 years or am I mistaken about that? I mean, it's just kind of funny because Iraq, wrong, Syria, wrong, Russiagate, really wrong, okay? I mean, the list goes on and on. So the last thing you could do to try and actually fix your reputation is acknowledge that through leaks, we had to find out that Zelensky was going to bomb Moscow on the anniversary. I mean, if you're so impartial, shouldn't you at least say, right, that Zelensky was going to bring us on the verge of World War III? That seems pretty fair. While Julian Assange rots in prison, all of you got, you know, fat checks because he's in jail for doing your job. And you know what? Tucker Carlson ain't no Seymour Hirsch. But he did something you guys are scared to do, speak the truth and actually be critical of the war, which is why he was actually fired from Fox, because you are all cowards, every single one of you. None of you have actually had any relevancy. And you know what? The mainstream press is now dying. Nobody's ever going to listen to you again. You have no credibility with the public. The only people who care about what you have to say are elite assholes who have nothing productive to say Enough. anymore and it's dying off so will you at least Enough. say something either about Nord Stream or Ukraine or the fact that Zelensky brought us to the verge of World War three and the only reason we knew about that was through leaks I'm go ahead it's a free speech event right you guys are the press let's say something here mr. Khan come on you know you're the executive head of the New York Times you know I'm just trying to get into some good trouble here, man. Listen, Karen, get out of my face for a second. I got to talk to these gentlemen. <clears throat> well, I just want to hear what they have to say. Go ahead. I'm done. Wait your turn. Wait your turn. You can you can project if we can't. Yeah. So thank you. All right. I do think that we need to give. Our moderator, a chance to ask one of the questions. We're on the verge of World War III. Say something about this bombing. We blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Listen, don't stand there while there are people rotting in prison. Nobody said anything about Uhuru, right? The socialists who are in jail for being critical of this war. God damn it. At least say something about the people in jail for being critical of this war. 
They don't deserve to be in prison right now. Wow, such bravery and, and very inspirational. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing from Jose um, about um, about his experience with, you know, disrupting these town hall meetings. And he's going to sort of talk about, about direct action. And for all of those who are asking about how they can get involved, this is, you know, this is the speech to listen to and, and try and, you know, emulate that wherever you can. So please welcome Jose Vega. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You can hear me okay, Lauren? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Perfect. All right, perfect. Well, first I want to thank everybody on the panel and the speakers. I think George in the beginning said, you know, that somebody on here said they hated him and now they're happy to be on here with him. And, and that's exactly right. The issue is that we should not be tragic, you know, like in um, Hamlet, right? Hamlet has the ability to actually save Denmark and do something but he lets his own tragic impulses get the better of him. And we see this in his speech where he says to be or not to be, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing them, end them. In other words, do I act or do I not act, you know? For who would bear the whips and scorns of time and the oppressors, you know? So I want to start this from that standpoint of tragedy and hope. You know, there's a very famous speech at the end of Oliver Stone's um, movie, JFK, where Kevin Costner says, I think that most of us believed that justice came into being automatically, that virtue was its own reward, that good would triumph over evil. But as we get older, we know that this just isn't true. Individual human beings have to create justice. And this is not easy because the truth often poses a threat to power, and one often has to fight power at great risks to themselves. Then he also goes on to say, and he quotes a great American, and says, a real patriot must be prepared to defend its country against its own government. And so I'm coming to hear all of you today, are you prepared to defend your country against your own government? When Martin Luther King Jr marched on Washington in 63. That was actually originally done against the Kennedys. Um, and it was that speech and that march that actually transformed um, the Kennedys to actually act in accordance with what the people actually wanted and what was actually virtuous. And I'm coming here to tell you this, that even though the Western countries have admitted that sanctions aren't working, that no matter what they've thrown at Russia, it doesn't work to, to, to slow them down. They still continue to sanction. Even as Germany enters a recession and the United States is looming in one too, they will continue to throw themselves in a suicidal pit and they are gonna to continue to hang themselves and they're gonna to continue to drink this poison chalice. For what? For pride. See, the thing is, you won't be able to reason with your government. You won't be able to appeal to some higher principle of consciousness in their minds because a lot of it is gone, it's dead. They've tried to kill off their consciousness. And yeah, maybe there are a few. For example, over here in the United States, we have the squad. Some of you may know some of these people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Jamal Bowman, and maybe their heads can be rattled. But we are not in a situation right now where we can try and appeal to everybody's conscience. We have to supersede our government. We have to take back our government. 
And we've seen many examples of that in history, one of that being the civil rights era. We see that happening in El Salvador with um, this president, Nayib Bukele, and say what you want. But, in two, you know, I actually have here a picture of my father who was drafted forcefully at the age of 16 into one of the bloodiest civil wars of El Salvador. So that's his draft card there. That's him, age 16. And this is his little draft card here. And uh, you can see all that there. It's a, you know, my dad was 16 years old and forcefully drafted into this army as a child soldier. He was literally a child soldier. And that war was one that was instigated by the United States and the, pop and the Office of Population Affairs. Okay, El Salvador was a country that was used as a playground for the Western elites to do whatever they wanted. And now it is a safe haven where people can actually go and travel. And my father, who fought there and bled there, um, is now very happy and optimistic with what's happening in El Salvador because people have actually taken back their government. Um, the median age of the assembly, legislative assembly there is like something in the 40s. You know, people are like 40 years old. Kelly himself is only like 42, 43 years old. That's one example of people taking back their government. But even beyond that, right now, every single citizen, wherever they are in the world, especially if they're in a country that is promoting NATO or funding NATO or is a NATO ally, has to step up right now, supersede their government and say, you know what, we are not going to allow you to sleepwalk us into World War III. Because World War III is just nuclear war. And none of us will be here to be squabbling and being petty at each other. Right now is the time for us to actually stand up against this oppressive regime that sanctions other countries and coups other countries and instigates war in other countries. And so what I've done is I've done this process of what people in the UK call doorstepping, which is a, I like, I like the term. It's a, it's a new term for me that, that people have um, brought to my attention. Um, but uh, uh, you know, here in the United States, I've termed it intervention. Um, and in one sense, it is kind of like an alcoholic intervention or like a, a drug addict intervention because you see somebody, they are doing something that's causing great harm, not just to themselves, but to the entire country. And you're going there and you're smacking them in the head, metaphorically, of course, with reason and truth. Because as Sophocles has said, you know, the greatest weapon you can have is truth. And that's what you know, you have right now is you have a bigger and greater weapon than any of these um, uh, uh, oppressive oligarchs have, you know, uh, but people will say, well, you know, I I'd like to act, but I'm afraid I'll lose my job or I will be frowned upon or I will be, um, you know, take it seen differently. I'll, I'll lose my reputation. And Dr. King took this up and he said, you know, you may be 38 years old as I happen to be. And you may be called the con for some great cause to address some great injustice or um, to bring some kind of change. And you might be afraid because you might be stabbed or bombed or you might be killed or you might lose your job or you might you know, ruin your reputation. But if you choose not to act, you, will be, you might go on to live to be 80, 90, 95 years old, but you will be spiritually dead at 38. And the physical cessation of your breath is but the belated announcement 
of an earlier death of the spirit. And there's a, a quote here from Henry V from Shakespeare, which he says, you know, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And that goes back to what George was saying in the beginning, that we all need to uh, put aside our differences. And whenever anyone else does an intervention, I call them my friend, even though I may have never even met them before, because anybody who fights against this oppressive regime is my brother, is my friend, on the very basis that um, they actually stood up. And so Shakespeare goes on to say, be he near so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here. It's kind of like, you know, in the greatest moments of history where people say, well, I, if I was in there, I would have stood up. I would have, you know, done something. I would have been one of the people going to jail. Well, it's like, well, when, where are you? Now is the time to say, don't, don't look back on this period of history and say, oh, God, I wish I was you know, and more involved, now is the chance to do it because the stakes have never been higher in human history. And uh, so that, that, that itself is one of the motivating factors why you should actually be speaking truth and doorstepping every moment you can. Here in the United States, you know, their congressmen have town halls, but they're very controlled. Um, so you might go to a town hall and they say you have to write your question down and maybe it'll get selected, but it never is because they filter out their questions. It is very rare for a congressman to have a town hall where people can raise their hands and actually ask a question. And that also, by the way, tells you what you'll be dealing with if you go to a congressman and already they tell you you have to write your question down. That's not somebody who's seeking to be honest. And so sometimes it requires you to break the social contract and be heard. What I mean by social contract. When you're at an event, you're not supposed to interrupt the person speaking. You know, it's supposed to be there's like a relationship between the audience and the person actually speaking. Um, and it's not your job to, to, to interrupt the speaker. But sometimes extraordinary, extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary action. And my advice to people who want to do this is this. The hardest part is not deciding what to say, but it's actually standing up and breaking that tension. That's the hardest part. It's like jumping into uh, a pool and you're jumping into the deep end of the, of the pool or in the deep end of the water. The scariest part is not actually swimming in it, it's jumping in. And I describe this feeling to everyone that once you actually stand up and the first words come out of your mouth, you control the authority and the power in that room, and people will hear what you have to say, even if it's just the first sentence that leaves your mouth, you control that power. The rest of what you say may or may not be heard, but the world will hear it thanks to the power of social media and other things like that. And so once you actually say something, even if it's not the best intervention in the world, because the first intervention that got worldwide, I did was against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that one was my sixth or seventh intervention. I had done one on Kamala Harris, Congressman Espaillat, Jamal Bowman, Senator Gillibrand. There was one more and then AOC. And so, you know, the other ones weren't as good as that one. I hadn't had my technique down, I guess you want to call it. I didn't get the camera angles right. But, you know, it, it, it's the fact that you do it. And the fact that you send a signal back to the mother base or to the headquarters where they say, you know, 
uh, uh oh, you know, the, the, the plebs are now starting to ask questions about things we don't want them to ask. And so I'll end this off by saying this. First, if people want resources, we have the classes that we've given already. Uh, recordings are available. But secondly, I, I, gave, I gave a similar uh, metaphor at an earlier conference, and I'll repeat it here. If you get a chance to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York or anywhere else that houses Greek armor, they have armor there that goes back to the Spartans and to the Athenians who actually held back the Persians and some of the people who fought in Marathon. Now you're there, that's armor from like 2,500 years ago, yet it's also right in front of you and you're seeing it there. It's like it's there. It's almost like it already, it's like it's happened already, like it's happening in the present day. And then you think that 500 years from now, if that armor is still well-preserved, somebody else will be seeing that armor and will be being told the story of what happened in Marathon and will be, be told what happened that day in, you know, against the Persians and the inspiring story of the Spartans who stood up and um, the Athenians who stood up against the Persians. That is very true of us, too. Because people are going to are people are looking back in history right now, in the future, judging us. What are we going to do? What are we trying to do here? Are we going to allow there to be a world for people to look back in this time and investigate? Because the way people will look back at that Spartan armor is the way people will look back at whatever artifacts of this period, and then what will they say about the human race? at this time period. And the beautiful thing is that you have the opportunity to define that right now. Was this the age that we gave into nuclear war? Or was this the age where we actually became reasonable, where we adopted our policy of reason to govern us in our foreign policies and in our domestic policies, where we said we can get rid of nuclear um, weapons and we can actually coexist for a greater shared human human purpose and so i guess that's really all i'll say now and i want to thank you for having me on thank you so much jose um you know really inspirational work that you're doing and um hopefully we can engage you uh to do some sort of tutorials or sort of training sessions with with our members uh on a future meeting or broadcast as well i think everyone would love to hear more about more about the work that you do and it you're right that it is it's that first step isn't it it's that first word um I mean I know myself I've always been quite uh nervous about public speaking and um but once you once you say that first word once you break that silence it all becomes a lot easier and um the more you do it as well the easier it gets and the more your confidence builds so um thank you so much and we look forward to to seeing more of your work and and speaking to you again soon so thank you thank you thank you very much so we're actually keeping to time which is unusual um although that's before i introduce our final speaker for the evening uh <laughs> sorry chris um so chris williamson former labor mp for derbyshire uh activist with the socialist labor party and of course co-founder of the nota nato organization with us in london um, requires no further introduction, really. Thanks, uh, Chris. We look forward to, to hearing you speak. Thank you. Great. Great. Thanks very much indeed, uh, Lauren. And I will try and uh, keep to, to time. But first of all, let me, let me thank our uh, 
panel because uh, everybody, I think, uh, uh, has made uh, outstanding contributions. And, you know, and Jose, listening to Jose there, incredibly inspiring. But let me thank George, Nick, David, Angela, and of course, Jose as well. Just uh, let me pick up, first of all, if I may, uh, something that, uh, that David said. I mean, he said he, he doesn't understand why people are so apathetic about what's going on right now. Uh, but I think one of the main reasons is the role of the corporate media, which, which David, to be fair, did, did also uh, criticise. I mean, let's remember what Julian Assange uh, said. I mean, he, he took a very dim view of the media's role in starting wars. He said the journalists who helped to start wars were actually war criminals. And, he, and he's absolutely right about that, of course. And the pro-war propaganda being churned out by the corporate media over the last 15 months has, has gone into overdrive since the beginning of NATO's proxy war in, in Ukraine. I mean, look, I catch a train down to London every week to record a programme called Palestine Declassified. And in the waiting room in the station, there's always uh, Sky News playing in the background. And I was uh, in the waiting room the day after Bakhmut uh, fell to Russian forces. And given what we know about, well, what we know anyway, about the course of the war there, I naively thought that, Sky News would acknowledge that fact, but Sky News had a different tale to tell. They had some alleged military expert in the studio telling viewers that Russia was losing the war, um, that China had made a strategic blunder by strengthening its collaboration with, with Russia. But of course, criticism of, of China is just another NATO talking point, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, the corporate media hacks are willingly churn out that anti-China propaganda day in and and they are. I mean, if we had a functioning fourth estate, you'd think there'd be some pushback, a little bit of pushback, wouldn't there be, against the prospects of a war with China, which, you know, which George talked about in, in his uh, contribution. But far from pushing back, I mean, these NATO stenographers happily cheer it on. I mean, look, the, the British corporate media is merely a mouthpiece for NATO's pro-war propaganda. There's no critical analysis of the claims by politicians that Russia and China pose a threat to world peace. There's no attempt to hold these politicians to account for prolonging and escalating the war in Ukraine. There's no scrutiny either, is there, of Zelensky's clampdown on opposition. Political and media voices are being closed down, and there's no analysis, no criticism of that in the corporate media, nor is there any reference to the, the torture and murder of Ukrainian citizens by literal Nazis and other far-right uh, extremists in the Ukraine who, who they sort of deem these people as, as uh, Russian collaborators or undesirables in, in some way. Uh, and we've seen the, the horrors, the horrific uh, on-street uh, torture, people being tied to lampposts and having their lower garments removed and then being abused and, and, and worse things happening. There's no examination in the corporate media either, of the, the so-called Advantage Ukraine Investment Initiative, which is basically Zelensky's vehicle for flogging off his country's assets to the likes of BlackRock, for God's sake, Goldman Sachs and Halliburton. And of course, Halliburton, let's remember, notoriously made a financial killing out of the carnage in Iraq. And now it seems they want to do the same in, in Ukraine. If you look at the website, Zelensky is, is quoted on uh, uh, Advantage Ukraine's uh, website saying, the war in Ukraine is the greatest opportunity in Europe since World War II. And you've got BlackRock's uh, chief executive, Larry Fink, saying that uh, Ukraine can be a beacon to the rest of the world about the power of capitalism. I mean, what NATO is clearly trying to facilitate here is uh, a kind of uh, neoliberal nirvana. But, uh, 
you'd never know that from listening to or reading the output of Britain's corporate media outlets. I mean, they give no consideration either to, to NATO's ultimate goal of balkanizing Russia and then pivoting against China. But of course, NATO and its uh, corporate media stenographers don't get it all their own way these days. I mean, the alternative independent media makes it harder to hoodwink people. Of course, the online independent media didn't exist in the run-up to the illegal war in Iraq. But 20 years ago, unlike today, anti-war voices were given a platform on the corporate media back then. I mean, George Galloway was regularly interviewed to make the case against war. So uh, I want to give a shout out really to independent media outlets, platforms like the Grey Zone News, the Mint Press, Redacted, the Duran, uh, what else is there, the Jimmy Dore Show, Afshin Ratanzi's Going Underground, who's, who's had to uh, decamp now uh, to the Middle East to because uh, he was basically closed down. His platform was on uh, RT. And of course, George Galloway's own uh, mother of all talk shows. They're, they're all essential viewing, in my, in my opinion. And there are others out there as well, if, if you look for them. I've actually only done, Lauren, one interview with the corporate media about the war in, in Ukraine. And that was back in March 2022. And it was the local BBC Radio Derby uh, station in the city where I live. And even then, you know, the presenter admitted on air that, that they, uh, they were uncomfortable about inviting me to speak. And they had apparently had a, had a conference about whether they should invite me on to, uh, you know, allow me to air my views. He even said on air, believe it or not, or asked me how I'd respond to people saying that I was betraying my country, betraying my country for calling for peace, for saying the war was unnecessary, that it could have been avoided, that NATO would provoke this war, going right back to 2008 and the Press Declaration and before the, you know, the, uh, the US backed and EU backed, for that matter, coup in Ukraine, the, the role of the, the Nazis in Ukraine. All of this was deemed to be you know, unpalatable, unacceptable, and the, you know, they, they thought very long and hard about whether to, to give me a platform to say that. Needless to say, I've never had a, another opportunity. I've never been invited back to a local radio station or any other for that matter, uh, because, you know, they just don't want to hear these anti-war voices these days. So, the, you know, the corporate media has really gone backwards in terms of certainly any commitment to free speech. But tragically, the corporate media's pro-war Russophobia is also being amplified by some who claim to be on the political left. I mean, I know that some on the left have probably been duped, and I'd like to think so anyway, um, but others... I think it's pretty clear, you know, are state actors. I mean, they've infiltrated the left over many years. It's the old establishment divide and rule trick, isn't it? So I think it's absolutely essential that, that we cut through this nonsense. And that means taking direct action, like, like Jose was talking about in, in his erudite contribution just now. And I think using the democratic mechanisms of influential organisations like trade unions to push the anti-NATO message. I mean, some of the trade unions are very pro-NATO. I mean, they say, oh, you know, it created, the arms industry creates jobs and so on. So we've really, I think, got to make the case with, with rank and file trade union members and indeed other civil society organisations. I mean, note in NATO in, in the UK, we, we've launched a parliamentary petition in Britain calling for the UK to invoke Article 13 of the North Atlantic Treaty to take us out of, of NATO. I mean, that will require a formal response on the government if we get to 10,000 signatures, and it could force a debate on the floor of the House of Commons if we get 100,000 signatures. Um, and you might say, so what? But if it, if it does that, it at least will enable us to put pressure on the politicians who are supporting NATO and its proxy war 
in Ukraine. It really will, in my opinion, you know, put them behind the eight ball. It really will give us an opportunity to expose them. So I think I'd say in conclusion, Lauren, the, the minimum that we should be doing is promoting this uh, petition to get as many signatures as possible. In other words, we have to do everything we possibly can to resist the attempt by the political class and the corporate media to brainwash the public into accepting that NATO is a defensive alliance when all the evidence since its inception proves it's the very opposite. And of course, failure isn't an option because if uh, NATO precipitates World War III, we'll be facing the possibility of nuclear Armageddon. So as Hosea was saying, now is the time to speak truth to power. Thanks very much, Chris, and, and thank you for promoting the petition as well. I think it's really important that, you know, we do cross that 10,000 signature threshold to, to force a, a response from Parliament um, and, you know, keep the keep the momentum going. I know with, the, um, with our NOTA NATO organisation, we have a number of meetings coming up in London, uh, in Exeter, in Edinburgh. Um, so I encourage everyone who's uh, who's watching, who's following along, who might watch this at a later date, please go to notonato.org and sign up. It's completely free. You'll then be invited to all of our future events and, um, you know, these broadcasts as well. Um, and I think, Chris, the thing that a lot of it's hard is you have to convince people of your position. You have to talk to people who about, you know, uncomfortable topics that's, it's not the done thing, is it, to just go up to people in the street or knock on their door and start talking to them about, you know, nuclear war. So, um, but people need to be able to overcome that because you, the only way that we can oppose the war is to bring as many people out onto the streets and, and put the pressure on, uh, as you said. So any sort of words of advice or encouragement to people who have never really done anything like that before and how they can, you know, feel confident in doing it? Yeah, I mean, well, I think Jose uh, set it out, really. I mean, yeah. it's, it's taking that first step. That, that's the most difficult thing to do. But I think one of the ways in which you can do it is by doing it together, doing it with, with a few people, I mean, more, more the merrier, really. Um, you know, because that whole labour movement, Maxim, you know, unity is, is strength. If you're kind of doing it uh, with, with a few people, I certainly know, you know, in my experience of door knocking over 40 odd years when I was a member of the, of the Labour Party, I was a bit daunted by the prospect of, of knocking on a door and, speaking to a complete stranger. Um, but once you actually get into it, once you break the ice, it's actually quite enjoyable, you know. And, and people are, you know, people are very receptive. It's quite interesting, really. I think the, 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 the view of a lot of people have never, you know, interacted in that way, in a you know, sort of cold-calling people, uh, often fear that there's going to be a, a very, you know, hostile, adverse reaction. You do get the odd occasion where there is a hostile, adverse reaction, but overwhelmingly, People are incredibly accommodating and willing to listen and, and talk, you know. So I think people will be very surprised, actually, uh, that, uh, you know, there was a receptive audience out there, a bigger one than, they, than people perhaps realised. And to some extent, that was evidence, wasn't it, by the Jeremy Corbyn surge when, when he came to the fore. Um, suddenly, socialism became, you know, very, very popular. People thought it was a sort of the dead as a dodo, really, but there was massive support. For, for peace, there was massive support for the agenda on uh, bringing, uh, you know, the utilities back into public ownership, you know, massive support for, uh, you know, addressing the housing uh, crisis and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, there are more people than perhaps people realise, in spite of the relentless 
propaganda that I spoke about in my contribution in the uh, in the media. There is more support than people realise. And another example, I think, of this, just in conclusion, uh, Lauren, was um, the support that we saw on the street for the Palestinian people a couple of years ago when Israel was engaging in one of its regular uh, appalling uh, bombardments of, of Gaza. And we saw all over the country massive demonstrations and marches and people literally coming out of, of the shops and the pubs to applaud the marches and indeed join in with them. And there is almost universal pro-Israel propaganda on all the corporate media channels. So people aren't as you know naive as maybe sometimes we think. And so I would urge people to you know take the plunge, uh, start making those uh, contacts with people, having those conversations. And uh, you know I think we'll find that there is a, a bigger audience, a more bigger receptive audience out there than people, as I've already said, will necessarily think there is. Thanks, Chris. And, uh, well, we've kept a time, which is very exciting indeed. Um, my, yeah, my experience is the same, you know, knocking on doors and talking to people about, you know, different political topics um, is uh, you find out that you always have more in common with people than you think. And I think, you know, it's only through talking together that we can come to uh see what we agree on, but also work to overcome our differences as well. And I think, you know, segueing back to, to the topic of the meeting tonight is about uniting for peace. And it's only through these kinds of conversations where we can sort of come together and, and discuss the things that we agree on um, and, you know, put on the back burner the things that we might disagree on for a time when they're, you know, yeah. really more important because at the moment, as we've seen through the, the contributions tonight, war really is the most urgent um, question. Um, so I just want to thank all of the speakers, yourself, Chris, obviously George Galloway, Nick Branner, David Clues, Angela McArdle and Jose Vega. And hopefully we'll make this a more regular occurrence and um, start putting on some more regular transatlantic and maybe international further afield uh, meetings in the in the coming weeks and months. Um, but please go to notonato.org, sign up there. You'll find out about more meetings and events that you can get involved with. Um and yeah, we'll take it from there. So thank you all again for joining us this evening and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you.